0: Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show. It's always good to have you join us, both those of you that listen to this podcast every day, those of you listening from time to time. Perhaps the unusual subject matter of today is bringing in some listeners that have not been with us. But whatever the reason, yesterday, my wife Dana joined me. The subject matter was important, but also something we both encouraged people not to dwell on. Now, it was important because the enemy of God named Satan, in the Bible, God's enemy, and those beings he commands, demons, these creatures really do exist. My friends, they are not mythology. Neither are they something for Christians to ignore. Yeah, there are Christians who believe this stuff because they see a teaching in the Bible that they kind of view as a vague teaching, but something they don't expect to ever really encounter in everyday life. The Bible says we are a part of spiritual warfare, and Christians of all people should take that seriously. Very often, they do not. Yes, we are part of a spiritual warfare. We can choose whether or not To acknowledge this, but whether we acknowledge it, whether we don't acknowledge it, that is our reality. Anyway, if you listened to yesterday's podcast, you heard both Dana and me say that that was all the airtime we wanted to give Satan. And for good reason. Yes, we need to be aware of how he operates, but it's important to focus on our relationship with God, not dwell on the enemy of God. And so you're probably wondering why, after saying all that, I would immediately offer this sequel program. Well, it's simple. Listening to the program's recording, I realized there was a lot of crucial information I left out. It's one thing to say we don't want to be obsessed with Satan, but we don't want to confuse that with being uninformed about Satan. We need to be very informed. As you know, my radio program is quite eclectic. We talk about a variety of subjects. We also have a variety of Formats. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes I'm joined with others. Often I'm interviewing a guest. Or I'm joined with one of several great rotating co-hosts. Dana, my wife, being one of them. She does a fantastic job. I love it when she joins me. I enjoy very much these shows where I interact with others because it makes good radio. In Dana's case, she'll often pass on questions she heard from people. This provides spontaneity. It makes for a fun, informal show. Show. however and i'm sure you knew i was getting to the however the other side is that in the midst of a conversation like that i often feel in the moment that i'm giving complete answers only to listen to the recording later on and go wow there's some crucial information i just barely hit on there's some stuff i didn't mention at all this needs clarification this needs detail. And usually, that kind of detail comes from my solo programs where I have an outline in front of me reminding me of things that need to be covered. That's why radio hosts make out outlines before they go on the air. Okay, now that I just spent half the program explaining why I'm doing the program, I'd best get on with it. The Many Masks of Satan, Part 2. Let me start with some review. Some of this will be a review of what we did yesterday. There's also a previous show I did about Satan a few weeks ago. Anyway, as I go through this, you need to understand there are scriptures, in some cases a lot of scriptures, to back up every point I'm about to make, but we'd be here forever if I went through them. So although I'm going to refer to some Bible passages, I'm not going to quote all of them or even list the references for all of them, only for the sake of time, but Please, contact me if you hear anything that sounds unusual, anything that sounds weird, and in a subject like this, that's probably a guarantee. Contact me, I'd be happy to pass along what I'm using to back this up with. I guarantee you, there are scriptures behind everything I'm saying. I'm not saying anything in a vacuum. Okay, who is Satan? First of all, he's a creation of God, an intelligent being who fell through pride. In heaven, there were angels that followed after him. Those particular angels are now in a spiritual prison. They are awaiting judgment satan at the moment is not in a prison he's also going to be judged he's not in any kind of prison yet now the offspring of these angels are called demons some of you will find it strange that i call them offspring and this is the program i mentioned that we did a few weeks ago you can find it just go to the cgm radio website episode 127 the origin of demons if you're subscribing to my program they should still be listed in whatever platform you're subscribing to once again episode Episode 127, The Origin of Demons. I'm not going to go into all that again right now. Satan has free reign on earth at the moment, and a rapport with human beings. We don't see him. He exists in another dimension. These demons following him exist in another dimension. Satan was defeated at the cross, and Satan was defeated at the resurrection of Jesus three days later. Dana and I spent a lot of time discussing that yesterday. Satan is not going to rule in hell when he gets to hell, and his future is going to be hell. God has already pronounced the judgment, but he's not there yet. It's been postponed. When he gets to hell, he will not be ruling in hell as some people think. He's going to be punished there and miserable there, just like any other inhabitant of hell. There are different names in the Bible for Satan. One of them is Satan. Yeah, that was an easy one. That name literally means adversary. He's also called the devil. Devil means accuser. He accuses us before the throne of God, accuses us of our sins. But Jesus Christ, as our defense attorney, if we've given our lives to Jesus, stands up and says, Your Honor, talking to God the Father, this is the Trinity at work, Your Honor, my Father, this man, this woman gave their lives to me. Of course, God already knows that, but this is, uh, this is in legalese so that we can understand this relating it to our own courtroom rooms. And the father says, case dismissed. He's also called Beelzebub, the prince of demons. In John chapter 8, Jesus referred to him as the father of lies. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's very important. Satan is a liar. He loves to speak. He loves to talk. And he's a very good liar. A good liar has to be familiar with the truth. A good liar knows how to take the truth and twist it just enough so that it appears true, maybe even contain some truth, but he twists it. One great example of this, Dana and I got into yesterday when we talked about Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Satan was quoting Scripture at Jesus. Jesus put the Scripture back in its context. In the days of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, living in paradise, the Garden of Eden, they didn't have a book called the Bible. They didn't have a collection of Scriptures. You could say they had just one Scripture so far, one command, and that was that there was a particular tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God asked them not to eat from that tree. Now, there was nothing magic about the fruit. It wasn't poison. This isn't the story of Snow White. It could have been anything. It was a test of their obedience. God could have said, don't throw rocks in the pond. God could have said, don't pull Eve's hair. What he happened to say was, don't eat from this particular tree. So Satan comes along, and he's getting into a conversation with Eve, and he says, didn't God say you could eat the fruit from any tree? And Eve says, well, yeah, any tree except this one. saying so says, whoa, 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 like a lawyer. Like lo- like an attorney. I, I have some friends that are great attorneys, but you know, I love lawyer jokes. They probably hate lawyer jokes. But anyway, they're good attorneys, they're bad attorneys. Think of Satan as a bad attorney. It's like, no, 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 no. Just answer the question. Your honor, instruct the witness to answer the question. Did God not say you could eat from any tree? Well, any tree, but no, no, no. No but, no but. Did he say you could eat from any tree? Yes. Okay. Is this a tree? Well, yeah, but it's the tree. No, no, no. Is this a tree? Well, it's yes or no. Yes, this is a tree. And did God say you could eat from any tree? Yes or no. Well, yes. All right. There go. why not eat from this? Anyway, you get the idea. He's also called the god of this world. Some translations say the god of this age. They mean it the same way. The prince of this world as well. We got into that a lot yesterday. Another thing we got into a lot in yesterday's show, and I won't belabor the point now, that in Hebrew, the word for serpent can be translated shining one. I do not believe this was a snake that was talking to Adam and Eve. It was just another name for Satan, him himself an intelligent, beautiful being. When he tempted Adam and Eve, that was his own act of disobedience. He fell into sin and was separated from God at that time. Adam and Eve fell into sin for listening to him and disobeying God, and they were separated from God at that time. Satan's capabilities, he can cause supernatural catastrophes and diseases. Now, that doesn't mean every time there's a catastrophe or a disease, it comes from Satan. I'm not saying that, but some of the time it does. Job chapters 1 and 2 tell us this. He can influence thoughts. I mentioned that they exist unseen in another dimension. There is some kind of telepathy that serves as a backdoor to our minds. He can manipulate circumstance. What would be his reason for manipulating our circumstances? He does not want us to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. He does not want us to give our lives to Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. That was one of the things I felt we needed to spend more detail on today. I will give you the detail, but let me share this true story. This is back when I was in college. I had only been a Christian for a few months. I had a Christian brother named John, and there was an evangelist coming into town. I won't mention his name now. He was fairly well. Well-known in those days. I don't think today anybody's even heard of him anymore or what even became of him. But he was good. I heard him preach. He was an evangelist. He was... There are times that people still do this when Christians will bring their friends to listen to this famous guest speaker. That's not that Christians shouldn't be sharing the gospel on their own. The Bible commands us to share with our friends, but we all have different gifts. Some have the gift of evangelism and there's certainly something to be said for it. I have to say that because I am an evangelist. I've also been somebody who's traveled around the country. I've been a guest speaker. And my point is we shouldn't be dependent on those people, but yes, God will use them. And this was somebody that had led many people to Christ. When he was done preaching, many people would come forward. Well, my friend John had a sister, an older sister. She was not a Christian. They argued all the time. Anyway, he had talked her into going and hearing this evangelist. For weeks, he was very excited and asking us to pray. I kid you not, and this is how my friend John related to me, On the evening that they were going together, leaving their home where they both lived with their parents, they were commuter students, walking out in the driveway. The very second they're about to get in the car, who comes pulling up into the driveway? Her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. Technically, they had broken up. He chose this minute to give her a surprise, impromptu visit, rolls down the window. I'm sorry, baby. It was all my fault. Let me take you out on the town right now. We need to talk. Now, folks, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with girlfriends or boyfriends or going on dates or making up. It's the timing that timing that's very fishy, very suspicious, she did not end up going. And you can say, well, maybe if the Christians had prayed harder, look, we pray. Like I said, there's a spiritual warfare, but this is an example of what Satan can do. And it wouldn't have been Satan himself, once again. Satan's not omnipresent. It would have been some demon under Satan's control. Now, you hear a lot also about demon possession. There is such a thing. Not going to talk as much about that today. Going to emphasize the subtle thing but they're are demonic possessions where people get so caught up with Satan and his lies that they get into very precarious situations. That usually happens when people involve themselves in the occult. The Bible warns us to stay away from any alleged supernatural source other than Jesus Christ. I understand that when we're talking about tarot cards, Ouija boards, seances, crystal balls, tea reading, palm reading, all stuff the Bible would forbid under the general category of sorcery or witchcraft uh, Sometimes that stuff is phony baloney. Sometimes it's real, genuine supernatural power, but the source needs to be questioned. And when people get involved with that, they can actually get possessed by demons. So again, that would be a topic for a whole different program, but I wanted to mention it here to be thorough. Now, very important, Satan's two basic objectives. Objective number one, to keep people from giving their lives to Jesus. Thus bringing them to hell with him. Hell is a real place we can debate whether or not it's a place where people burn. I've done shows about that. I'll do more shows about that. But it is a real place where people are separated from God for all of eternity. Satan knows that someday he will be spending eternity there. He wants to bring people to hell with him. Now, the reason for that is not given in Scripture. Theologians offer different viewpoints. Some say that maybe originally Satan was thinking, well, if he could bring everybody to hell with him, God in his mercy certainly isn't going to send everybody to so maybe he'll send nobody to hell, no people, no fallen angels, no fallen heavenly beings like Satan. Others say, well, maybe Satan just has become so sinful and evil himself that it's just out of spite. If he has to go there, he wants to drag others down. I'm more inclined to the second idea, but the truth is the Bible doesn't give a reason, but the Bible doesn't have to give a reason. All we need to know is that that is his objective, to keep people from giving their lives to Jesus, and that would result in them going to hell with Satan. Now, what if somebody's already given their life to Jesus? Well, don't worry. Satan hasn't left you out. The next objective is to give Christians, and a lot of people use the word Christian, call themselves Christian. I'm talking about real, bona fide, born-again, saved Christians. He wants to give you, if you are born again, a frustrated, defiant defeated life which results in a poor testimony before other people. Why? Because if your life is a defeat and a bad testimony, God will not be able to use you to lead other people to Christ. Now, he may not know exactly who's truly born again and who isn't. There are a lot of people that use the name Christian. So there could be people that go to church and Satan comes along and tries to give them a defeated life and he succeeds with some of them more easily than others because they were never truly born again. But even those of us who are born again, Again, if we're honest, we'll admit that we've fallen and blown it many, many times. But the point is, if you're already a Christian, he's going to go after you unless you've just decided to be unfruitful for God. If you're one of those Sunday Christians and you're not really one who's interested in seeing other people become Christians, well, you should go back and check whether you really have a relationship with the Spirit of God. But whatever the reason for that, if that's your position, Satan's just delighted and he may just leave you alone. Sounds good good, the idea of having him leave us alone. But the point is, we should be so effective for God that Satan is not leaving us alone. I don't want Satan to do stuff to mess up my life, but I'm not going to stop serving God. So what comes with the territory comes with the territory. You see what I'm saying? Now, originally it was not Satan's objective to keep people from Christ because Christ had not yet come. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the fact that originally when Satan wanted to bring people to hell with him, there were two things Satan can do. He can encourage us to sin. We sin with an act of our will, but he can encourage us to sin, tempt us to sin, and then he can kill us. Now again, nobody's life is over without God allowing it, but human beings told God to get out of this world. That's what our ancestors did. God's not a part of this world. He created the world. We have said we don't want you here. There's a school in the San Diego area that had a tragic shooting a number of years ago, and there was a memorial put up, a lot of flowers for some of the victims, and somebody put up a sign that said, Dear God, why do you allow children to get killed at our schools? And it was signed, Bewildered. The next day, I don't know who put this up, but there was a sign that said, Dear Bewildered, I am not allowed at your schools. And it was signed, God. Well, that makes an interesting point because that's the way it is with the world. So... Satan does have the ability to do destructive things, possibly end our life, only if God allows it. But he has a lot of ability. So if he can encourage us to sin, and then we're going to die, what's going to happen? Well, no sinful person can enter the kingdom of heaven. So that was Satan's original plan. When Jesus came, he loused up Satan's plans. He threw a big rock into the machinery. Jesus on the cross conquered sin. Jesus through the resurrection conquered death. That means anybody. Who sins can be forgiven of sin if they give their lives to Jesus Christ, if they're willing to turn from their sin with the help of the Spirit of God, who comes and takes up residence in them. This is part of what the Bible means when it says we are born again. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to resurrect someday. The old sinful self was destroyed on the cross. God looked at Jesus on the cross as if he were you. And God looks at Jesus' resurrection as if that is you. And someday you will literally resurrect in heaven your own old nature, your old sin will be destroyed, but you didn't have to go through the destruction. God loves you so much. Jesus went through it on your behalf. You see how this completely defeats Satan. I mentioned yesterday that before Jesus went to the cross, he says, now is the ruler of this world cast out. That meant cast out for all intents and purposes. Jesus won the war, but the final battle has not played out. It's almost as if we were at war with another country, and some American secret agent managed to get over to this country and steal this horrible weapon, which, if used, would destroy all of us, and that weapon is stolen, and because our armies are greater than their armies for all intents and purposes, they have been defeated with the weapon being stolen through the secret secret agent it sounds like a James Bond movie where the guy says before i kill you mr bond let me explain my plan where the bomb can be found okay all right i digress it's as if We won that war through the secret agent, but the conventional warfare is still going to be played out. Someday Jesus will return to this world and banish Satan forever. But my point is, Satan's original plan was to get us to sin and kill us. Since Jesus conquered sin and death, he had to move to plan B. And plan B, once again, is keeping us from giving our lives to Jesus. Because whatever Jesus did on the cross, whatever Jesus did in the resurrection, if we don't turn from our sins, if we don't say, God, adopt me as your child so that I could be born again and be forgiven and live in heaven where there is no sin, if we don't choose to do that, then the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus does not count for us. Now, how does Satan go about accomplishing these objectives? Well, again, there's blindness. Since now there's this movement called Christianity and this message of good news called the gospel, that's what gospel means, good news, Satan's going to try to distort that. Yesterday, Dana and I talked about the fact that the best place to hide a tree is a forest. So Satan will bring about alternative religions or cults which use the name Christian or churches that use the name Christian but still twist the Bible. So blindness or maybe somebody just doesn't believe in God at all. I was raised as an atheist. I thought the idea of believing in God was crazy. Now I look around and I say, who could believe that this universe came about by randomness and chance? Just look at the human body. It's the most complicated machine that ever existed. Do we really believe that this just randomly evolved? So I feel that I was blind. I don't mean any disrespect. I know some of you follow my show and you don't share these beliefs. You don't see yourself as blind. I respect that. I'm just talking about myself. I look back and I thought I was blind. Satan uses blindness Satan uses temptation, obviously. Satan uses fear. Now, this is an interesting one. True story, but I'm changing the name. I'm going to call this woman Mindy. Her name was not Mindy, but real person. This was when I was doing my ministry at UC Santa Barbara back in the 80s. We had a large meeting on Tuesday nights. It was a very dynamic ministry. I was very blessed to be a part of it. And, of course, people would invite their friends. We had a woman named Mindy come up to me, and she was not a Christian. She seemed to know that. A lot of people think they're Christians. She knew that she was not, and she was very interested. And she asked if she could talk to me after our meeting, after my talk to the group. We sat down in a corner of the room. I shared the gospel with her. And I did what I often do, because I'm used to people asking a lot of questions, especially out on a college campus. How do you know that Jesus existed? How do you know he rose from the dead? Who could believe in such a miracle? And you weren't there. And how can you even believe in a God when evolution is disproven Genesis? All those questions, you've heard them, I've heard them. I was expecting some of them. She gave none. I said, do you have any questions? She said, no. I said, do you have any objections? She said, no. I said, okay, do you understand everything I'm saying about the fact that we are all selfish? The Bible calls this selfishness sin. Do you understand what it means to give your life to Christ? How to pray to receive Christ? What will happen afterwards? His Spirit coming inside of you, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. She said, I understand all of that. I said, well, then is there anything that would keep you from giving your life to Christ right now? She said, no, absolutely nothing. I said, all right, well then, would you like to pray with me? I'll pray, you pray, and we can pray right now for you to receive Christ. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. Now, at first I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe she's feeling pressure." I said, okay, well, I understand we're here. There's other people in the room, even though we're in a corner of the room. W- would you rather do it privately without me being there? I can understand that. She says, no, no, I don't even want to go home and do it privately. I said, well, look, that's up to you. Jesus himself said, count the cost. We're not here to put pressure on you. This is your decision. You can make it tonight. You can make it tomorrow. You might want to wait a month. It's totally up to you. However, I'm just curious. You said that you can't think of any reason not to do this. You said you believe this. You don't have any skeptical questions. Nothing about this is confusing. You said this is something you want to do. So I'm just curious. If this is something you want to do, why are aren't you going to do it? And she said, well, you know, that's a a very good question. It's the strangest thing because I want to, and yet there seems to be a little voice in the back of my head saying, don't do it. I said, oh, now it makes sense. Let me tell you where that voice is coming from. And after I explained, she prayed with me that night to receive Christ. And when I say voice, God uses audible voices. There are sometimes other beings in the heavenlies that use audible voices. But going back to what I said earlier in the program, usually we're talking about thoughts, thoughts that we think are our own, but sometimes they're coming from God, and sometimes they're coming from an evil spiritual realm, and that takes discernment. When are the thoughts coming from God? When are the thoughts coming from Satan? And of course, being made in God's image, we think many thoughts all on our own. There is a way, and I'm going to close with this, there is a way to discern the difference between God's voice and Satan's voice. And now I'm talking about thoughts. And it's really interesting and much simpler than you'd think this is a real making the obvious obvious kind of deal. God's voice prior to you considering sinning, feeling tempted to sin, God's voice is going to be harsher and more severe to keep you from doing it. Satan's voice is going to be friendlier. It's going to rationalize because it's trying to talk you into committing the sin. But then, let's say you go ahead and commit the sin, then afterwards there's a role reversal. God's voice becomes the friendly one, because even though he wished you hadn't sinned, he wants you to know that you've been forgiven. Satan's becomes the harsh one, because now he wants to accuse you to alienate your relationship with God. Because once again, if you have an ineffective relationship with God, you're going to be an ineffective witness to bring others into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so, So it starts out with God saying, you don't want to do this. Believe me, you don't want to do this. No, you don't want to do this. Oh, you did it. Well, that's okay. Pick yourself up. This is why I came down and died for you on the cross. I still love you. I wish you hadn't done that. But let's start over. Let's move on as if it didn't even happen. Satan in the beginning is saying, oh, come on. There's nothing wrong with this. I know some people would call it a sin, but you're a special case. Your circumstances are very unique. Honestly, I don't see what's wrong with it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't be legalistic. Go ahead and do it. And then after you do it, he goes, oh, my God. God, Look what you did! And you call yourself a Christian? Why, you're just scum of the earth. How could you ever go to God in prayer again? You see the difference? The stern voice before the sin is God's. The friendly voice before the sin is Satan. But the forgiving voice after the sin is God's. And the condemning voice after the sin is Satan. This is Bob Siegel, making the obvious. Obvious. bob siegel show podcast is a production of bob siegel and cross global media visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com bob